Gandang gabi po sa bawat isa. If you could open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're actually going through 1 Peter. Actually, we haven't been to 1 Peter since December, November, right? We're skipping some passages, not because they're not important, right? but we're actually going to go back and do chapter 4. That's where we left off last time. But I'm just going to go straight to chapter 5, um, partly because it's CEP week, and I planned on, on preaching here um, really to serve our pastors. Uh, was like we were expecting more from our missionaries to attend, but some didn't make it. Um, what to serve our pastors in, in preaching a pastoral passage tonight. First right? Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Hopefully you found your place. Before we continue, let's, let's pray and ask God for, for help. Our Father, we thank you for another opportunity you have given us to serve one another. To serve particularly our, our brother pastors, especially our, our missionaries, missionaries here at Pines that we, we love, we support, we help, we pray for every week. But not just them, but all of us here as, as a congregation. And we ask God that your word would minister to us. I pray that you would take your word and challenge our brother pastors and challenge all of us here from your word. And also to encourage and to comfort, to give hope, to give strength, especially in the difficult times of pastoral ministry. And I pray that your word would be clear. That may you take away things that would distract our minds and our hearts away from your word. And as we study your word, I pray that we would see your glory, that we would see Jesus Christ revealed from the pages of your word. That would cause us to rejoice, to delight in your sufficient word. And may you get all the glory for what you would do among us through the ministry of your word. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite church fathers, probably known by, by my church history class, right, uh, would be right, Chrysostom. Right? One of the things I like about Chrysostom, during this time in the early church, what became popular is the interpreting of scripture in the allegory method. Um, made popular by origin, and many of the church fathers would preach through allegory from Scripture. And Chrysostom is actually very countercultural because he was preaching God's word according to its historical grammatical context, which is really unheard of in the yon. Because their preaching is, you know, that they allegorize and they try to find, you know, some nugget of truth that they could teach and help the people. And probably their motives are, are, are right and they want to help the people. But, but one of the things that, that, that would really feed a congregation 
is a faithful preaching of God's word. That is the task that God has given to God's shepherds or under-shepherds or pastors or elders. And the passage we have here in 1 Peter chapter 5 is an exhortation concerning that. If you remember, 1 Peter is written to a group of churches in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And these churches are experiencing manifold trials. Variety of trials. Or King James would use the word temptations or trials. They're being persecuted for their faith. Many of them are ostracized by their family, by society, because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And they're experiencing persecution. Paano na ito, hindi pa siya official persecution. It's still kind of like a, a, a localized persecution. It's not yet the worldwide or empire-wide persecution, but persecution nonetheless. And so Peter wrote this letter to encourage these churches of, about God's grace. This is God's grace. Stand fast in the grace of God. And that's the letter of 1 Peter. And speaking about suffering in chapter 4, we haven't really gone through chapter 4. We're kind of doing a little bit advance um, tonight. Uh, speaking about suffering, Peter would now address the elders. Right? In light of the suffering of the people, I want to I wanna particularly encourage and, and to help you elders remember your task because of the suffering being experienced by the churches. So let us read 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read the first four verses. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Just going to divide uh, this talk or this sermon in, into um, three sections, right? Kind of like a three. We could use the word topics, right? We're going to look at the identity of the church leaders. Who are the church leaders being addressed, right? And then we're going to look at the task of the church leaders. What is the task? What is the main idea of this exhortation in these four verses? And then we're going to look at the reward, right? Or we could, we could say the result if you accomplish the task, right? Which is a reward, and we're going to look at the reward or the result of accomplishing the task. So that's kind of like the map that we're going to draw and, and, and follow tonight. So first, the identity of the church leaders. Who are these church leaders? Apostle Peter. The elders which are among you I exhort. Right? So he's exhorting the elders from these churches. Who are the elders? 
Um, sometimes we kind of think of the elders as the old. Is it possible that he's talking about the older men in the church? Well, sometimes that word elder is used to refer to older men. But many times in the New Testament, the word elder is a technical term referring to a specific office. This office is similar, not similar, it's synonymous with what we call today as pastors okay? or shepherds. I really like that word shepherds. Right? Pastors or shepherds. Or sometimes people call us bishop or overseer. And you find this in the New Testament na itong term na ito ay ginagamit referring to the same office. Hindi right? may may elder, oh, in such a, isang church mayroong elders. Tapos may pastor. Tapos may, may, you know, above them, there's a bishop. Right? And sometimes that's what we think. Diba? Uh, oh yan, bishop yan eh. Kasi he's, he's above or he's over three or four churches, maybe. Right? But what we find in the Testament that these terms refer to the same office. I invite you to Acts chapter 20. Um, Paul, in Acts chapter 20, is saying his last goodbye to his beloved church in Ephesus. And so he called the elders from the church of Ephesus. Acts 20. Difficulty finding it. Acts 20 verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So he had that first term, elders. And, and the rest is all talking about what Paul is um, Paul's interaction with the elders, but I want to focus on verse 28. This is his command to the elders in the church in Ephesus. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That word overseer is the same word as bishop, found somewhere else in the, in the New Testament. When, when Paul is talking about the qualifications of a pastor, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the King James uses the word bishop. A bishop, therefore, must be blameless. Uh, whoever desires the office of a bishop or an overseer. Same word, right? Same Greek word, right? So the elders are to oversee or are to bishop, right? Uh, if you're going to make that a verb. And what else are they to do? Let's keep reading. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, all the flock over which the Holy Ghost have made the overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. That word feed is the verb to shepherd. Who does the shepherding? The pastor. The word na pastor is a shepherd. So from Acts chapter 20, the elders are commanded to oversee to become a bishop, and the elders are commanded to pastor. So really what we see from Acts 20 is that an elder, a bishop, and a pastor or a shepherd, they're all the same. It's the same office. Right? In the end, hierarchy. Na may, na may pastor, tapos sa pastor, may mga elders, right? above him maybe or under him, and then my bishop, church, okay, No, no, no. In the New Testament, what you have is, is different terms. For sure, you know, describing a different new ones about the term, right? Okay, or about the office. 
but they're all referring to the same person. Right? An elder is a pastor, a pastor is an elder, a pastor is a bishop or an overseer. It's all referring to the same office. Titus chapter 1 does the same thing. Right? Um, okay, let, let's, let's look at Titus 1. Right? Titus chapter 1 uses two of the terms. Sabi says, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should set things in order that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. Right? This is the task for Titus, ordain elders. And then he would mention the qualification of these elders. Verse 7, for a bishop. Must be blameless. Well, I, th I thought you are talking about the elders. Well, why then would you change and refer to the bishop? Well, it's because an elder and a bishop are the same thing. Right? They're the same office. Right? So let us not be confused about that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we can go back to our text. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is doing the same thing. Right? Sabi niya, so verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort. So, kinakausap ni Peter yung mga elders. At yung kanyang main command, so verse 2, sabi niya ito, elders, this is what you should do. Feed the flock, or pastor the flock, or shepherd the flock. How are you gonna do that? Shepherd the flock of God which is among you by taking the oversight or to oversee or to be a bishop right the same word right um maybe it's in a verb form the same idea right so what we have here who, who are the elders who are being who are who is peter addressing peter is addressing the pastors of the church um, you can call them elders. You can call them a bishop. It might be awkward, you know, to call your pastors bishop, right? Uh, or overseer, you know. Maybe you prefer the term pastor, right? But but biblically, they're the same thing. They're the same thing. But Peter, what he does here in verse one, hindi na siya kayo mga elders, mga pastors. But he's going to relate himself to the elders, to the pastors. So that means the first one, the elders which are among you I exhort, and then there's this kind of like a parenthesis here. By the way, Peter would say, who am, I am also one of you. I am also an elder, a fellow elder. Right? So the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also a fellow elder. And as a fellow elder, this is what, what I do. Peter would describe himself. And a witness of the suffering of Christ. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So who is being addressed here? Well, we're, we're addressing the elders. Which is the same thing as, as the bishop and the pastor. But Peter's description of himself as a fellow elder also adds something about the identity of the elders. One of the things that, that pastors do... Or some description as Peter describes himself, is that pastors are witnesses. They bear witness of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And they're also partakers of that future glory. 
That's what Peter is saying here. A witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. What does that mean? That means that being a pastor includes bearing witness of the suffering. Not just testifying about what Jesus did, how Jesus suffered, but at the same time, also in your life, experiencing the same suffering. The same, you know, maybe not the same weight of what Jesus suffered, but expecting suffering yourself. The office, the ministry of a pastor, meron kasamang suffering. It is important if, if you're not a pastor, maybe you're a member here of, of Pine City Baptist Church, one of the things that we pray for, as we pray on regularly on Wednesdays, uh, we pray for our missionaries, that we pray that they would endure the sufferings that they face. Sometimes we know about it. Sometimes among missionaries would, would write about their, their struggles and their oppositions, the oppositions that they face as they write us their missionary letter. Sometimes they don't tell us. Okay? But we pray for them because they are experiencing suffering. If you're a pastor, right, don't be surprised with the suffering that you experience. And suffering might, might be different. I mean, if, if the people, if the church in general and all Christians suffer, the suffering of the pastor would be greater. And, Paul, and Peter is, is particularly addressing them here in light of the context of suffering of this letter, First Peter. There's suffering in the ministry. Some of you here are training to be pastors. You're a student here at uh, PCBBC. You know, don't be surprised when you get there that there's suffering. Suffering is when I'm a student. I have to turn in all these projects. That's suffering. And once this is over, I'm done with suffering. No, no, no. There's greater suffering awaiting for you. But it's not just suffering. Peter would... would if we keep reading here, he's a witness of the suffering of Christ, but also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. There's a future glory that we await. Paul says it this way, the suffering of the present time is not worthy to be compared to the future glory. Romans 8.18 There's future glory. Endure suffering. And really when we pray for, for those who are suffering, and, and yes, we want relief from the suffering of our experience, whatever kind of suffering that is. But, but the prayer really, yes, we pray for relief and that we want it to be over, but what, really what we want to pray for is that we would endure this suffering. Sometimes the suffering would not leave us. Maybe that, that particular suffering that you have, maybe you, you'll take that until you die. And what we pray for is that God would help us to endure that kind of suffering. Maybe it's a certain sickness that you have and you just want to be healed completely. But maybe God doesn't want that for you. Or maybe conflicts 
or whatever it is, maybe financially or whatever. What we need to pray for. And yes, we, it's okay to pray for healing and, and pray for, you know, for provision. But really what we, what we really need to pray for is endurance. There's this pastor from 1700s, um, late 1700s, early 1800s. He's a pastor in England and he's been a pastor for 54 years. His name is Charles Simeon. And, and, and really to understand the, the story of Charles Simeon, during that time, there are many false converts in the church. I mean, even now, there's some false converts. But more back then, many nominal Christians. Right? They're members of the church, but not really saved. Charles Simeon got saved when he was 19. That's an interesting story about his conversion, right? But that's not the story for tonight, right? We'll wait next time. Maybe we'll tell the story about that. But Charles Simeon was a faithful preacher of God's word. Um, Charles Simeon, for, for over 50 years, expounded God's word year after year, after year, after year, faithfully. Uh, he is known to be, by many people, as a, you know, by, by his preaching, you know, he may sound like a Calvinist, right? But Charles Simeon would say, I, I, I don't want to be labeled anything. I, don't call me an Arminian. Don't call me a Calvinist. Um, Charles Simeon said, I, I want to be biblical. Right? And so I want to be honest with the passage of Scripture, whether it sounded more Arminian or it sounded Calvinist. I, I'm going to preach what God's Word says. Right? And that is really the, let me see, the motto, the the mission of Charles Simeon, life mission. I'm going to preach God's word faithfully. He once said that his task is to endeavor to give every portion of the word of God its full and proper force without considering what scheme it favors or what system it is likely to advance. I'm not for any theological system. I'm just here to present God's word according to how God emphasized his word. Say it the way God said it. He said, never to speak more or less than I believe to be the mind of the Spirit in the passage I am expounding. So my pastors who took CEP, if you took, you, uh, take this Old Testament expository sermon on your syllabus, right? The quotation there, that's from Charles Simeon, right? Uh, Dr. Barry quoted. But one of the things about Charles Simeon is that he lived a life of suffering as a pastor, I mean, you can't believe what he went through as a pastor. He became the pastor of Trinity Church. The pastor of that church in England died. When he died, Charles Simeon was appointed to be the pastor of that church. The problem is, the congregation, the congregation didn't want him. They prefer someone else. Right? And they do things differently back then. Someone appoints a pastor, right? And it's Charles Simeon said, well, if the people don't like me, I'll step down. But the people said, no, 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 we, no. We appointed you there as a pastor. Be the pastor there. And he became the pastor there for 54 years until he died. But not only did the congregation didn't like him, like they really don't like him. For example, the congregation 
would not allow Charles Simeon to enter the church in their Sunday evening service. Because they just don't like him. Sunday, just imagine, right? Sunday evening service, and then you're going to lock your pastor out of the church so that he can't preach, and then you're going to hire someone else to preach. Ikaw na lang mag-preach, wag na yung pastor namin. Because they'll lock the door so Simeon can't come in. And they did that for 12 years. For 12 years, the congregation won't allow you to preach in your own church, right? And so Charles Simeon said, well, if, if they don't want me to preach there, that's fine. All right? Maybe let's have a later service. Whoever wants to hear me preach, maybe, right? But then what the church people would do, the church wardens, the people in charge of the church, what they would do is they would lock the church so that Charles Simeon can't come in and the people who want another service can't come in. So they're waiting outside, right? Waiting for the service that didn't come. At one time, even on Sunday mornings, where Charles Simeon is allowed to come in the church, um, during that time, yung kanila mga pews is not like the pews that we have now. Right? You can actually have your own personalized pew. Right? It's really hard to imagine how. Right? So you have your own personalized pew, and what the church people would do, they would lock their own pews so that people can't sit down. That Charles Simeon had to buy chairs, like with his own money, I'm going to buy chairs so that the people could come and sit during the service. But then the church wardens would take the chairs that he put in, in the middle in the aisles, and then he, they threw it away in the yard. People don't really like him. I mean, if I'm the pastor, I'm leaving, right? This happened for a long, long time. He would visit people from house to house. But no doors would open. Ah, it's Charles Simeon. Lock the door. He didn't gain peace with the congregation until after 30 years. It was in 1816 when he writes that the peace finally came in the church. And then the attendance is better than ever. But it took him 30 years. That's patience. That's endurance. Some people would make up stories about him, would slander him. Some people would disrupt the service. They'll, they'll create a scene in the streets to disrupt the middle of the service and preaching during the preaching time. And those, and, and because this is because in the church, people are not saved. Right? This is unconverted, mostly unconverted people. And when finally some would really come to know Christ, they are ostracized and they are called Simeonians, right? followers of Simeon. But really what they did is they just believed the gospel and got saved. And one of his friends, after 49 years of all this, one of his friends asked him, Charles Simeon, right? how, did, how were you able to endure all this? All this suffering that, that, that you experienced in the pastorate. This is what Charles Simeon said. My dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head, referring to Christ, has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently 
we shall soon be partakers of his victory. That, that is what took, that's why he endured those suffering. And I encourage you, brother pastors, I, I don't know what you're going through. Ministry is tough, right? Dealing with people is difficult, right? People who, who you counsel, you show them God's word, and they would do something else, you know, something different, or the opposite of what you told them not to do or what to do. And, and ministry is lots of sacrifice. So lots of sacrifice. And I encourage you to endure because there's glory that awaits. That's the identity of the church leaders or of pastors. It includes suffering. That's the identity. Second, we're going to look at the task. Now, what is the task? What should we do? What is the mandate for pastors? In this section, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, there is only actually one main command. All the rest are either participles or adverbs. The main command is in the beginning of verse 2. In the King James, it says, Feed the flock of God. That is the main command. The main task of God-ordained elders, of pastors, is to feed the flock of God or to shepherd the flock of God. And, 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 and the way you shepherd is you feed and you protect by feeding, right? Um, you protect them from false teachers by feeding them the truth of God's word. Uh, you protect them from their own sin, <laughs> helping them. I mean, it, you counsel them God's word. So, so really the task of the pastor, pastors are not, you know, there to conduct the, you know, the business side of the church. Oh, that's part of what you do, but that's not your main task. Your main task is not to be, you know, the, the overseer of the building project. Although that might be part of what you do, but your main task is to feed the church of God. You shepherd the church of God. You do this publicly through preaching. You do this privately through counseling. But that's your main task. That's the main command in this section. I exhort. You could connect verse the beginning of verse 1 uh, with the beginning of verse 2. The elders which are among you, I exhort. What's the exhortation? Verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. That's the main command. And I challenge you, brother pastors, that we would take this command seriously. That means we labor with God's word. Hindi lang tayo, you know, ano bang sermon natin? Well, isipin ko pa, isipin ko habang kumakanta yung congregation. Okay, pwede ko i-preach. You come prepared. You know? Hindi ka nagpapakain lang ng sabaw-sabaw. Ano yung ibig sabihin ng sabaw? Walang laman. Okay? You're there to feed them God's word. They're, 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 this is, there's something here for you. Someone said that you can spend your life studying and preaching God's word. Your entire life. And you're just scratching the surface. That's how deep God's word is. And sometimes we're not even doing that for God's, for God's people. 
the flock needs proper diet, right? If you are feeding your children, you know, just, you know, maybe once a week, you know, or maybe this, you know, maybe you can have, you know, some candy, chocolate bars. And that's not the proper diet. A good parent won't do that, right? You need what? Ano kung uso pa yun, Go glow and grow, right? Carbohydrates, some protein, and vegetables or fruits. It is a combination. That is proper diet. The chief shepherd has given us the proper diet. This is God's word. And our task is to herald that diet. We don't change the diet. We're there to feed, to shepherd God's, God's word. We expound God's word according to how God said it. We don't add, we don't speak more or less of what's written there. So we emphasize expository preaching. And when here at Pines, we take this seriously. We go through, we go through books in the Bible. Pastor is going through Ephesians on Sunday mornings. I mean, I'm going through First Peter. Pastor is also going through Job on some Wednesday nights. That's why we're having CEP. Uh, that, that uh, as our missionaries here at Pines, we, we, we give you full tuition and we, we provide because we really take this task that we know that this, this feeding of the flock is serious business. And we want to equip you with whatever we could. You know, we're thankful for BJMBC and allowing this to happen. Because the feeding of God's flock is your main task. And it talks about, kaninong sheep ba yon, Feed the flock of God. It's God's people, God's sheep. How, what, how else do you do this? Part of feeding the flock, part of shepherding, is you're not just feeding food. Right? You just, uh, just eat. Right? Just imagine a shepherd. Right? You're not just leading them to the green pastures. You're also showing and exercising authority over them. You tell the sheep where to go. You kind of have that, that, that leading and directing part. And Peter kind of tells that also here. Feed the flock of God which is among you. How? By taking the oversight thereof. By overseeing, by looking after them. Or we could use the word that we don't really like, right? Exercising authority. Or those who are, you know, we don't like to submit to authority, so we don't really like that word. That is really part of the task of pastors. And we don't like this because sometimes pastors would abuse authority. Or sometimes we want to control the pastors. But one of the things, one of the beauty of God's word is when God's word really balances things, right? You have authority, and this authority is God ordained. God-given authority, but authority nonetheless. But I'm going to qualify how you exercise this authority. How do you oversee? And that's what we have here in verse 2 and 3. You have here three sets of positives and negatives that describe how do pastors exercise authority in the church. First, it will tell us the manner. How do you shepherd the flock of God? Verse 2. 
This is how you do it. Not by constraint, but willingly. What does that mean? The word constraint has the idea of being forced to do it. Right? Not that you're being forced to do it, but willingly. Or you, know, you, you have a wholehearted desire to do it. Or you could say, not because you have to, but because you want to. Hindi ka napilitan. Mahirap maglingkod na napilitan ka lang. Ako na nga nagpapastor dito. Wala na kasing iba. If that is your attitude, you you should step down. Hindi ka dapat napilitan. 1 Timothy chapter 3, I mean, we talk about the qualifications of the pastor and he must be blameless and, and describes what that means. But we often neglect the first part okay, in that chapter, in that 1 Peter chapter 3. If any man desire the office of a bishop, it begins by wanting it. Do, do you want to do this? Do you want to labor? Do you want to serve God's people, God's church? It, it begins with desire. If anyone desire the office of a bishop, he must be blameless. Right? So it doesn't mean that you want to become right? Well, you have to submit to the qualifications. Right? If you pass those qualifications. Right? But it begins with desiring this. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Not by constraint, but willingly. Second set here. Not for filthy looker, but of a ready mind. What does that mean? I feel like writing in the margins of your Bible. Filthy looker is basically money. Right? Not for money, but for a ready What does it mean to have a ready mind? Right? Uh, that word could be translated as eagerly or with enthusiasm. Right? Uh, the idea is you're eager to serve. Um, the, same, the same word is used in Romans 1, 15, when Paul said, I am ready to preach the gospel at Rome also. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to serve. I, I can't wait to serve. That's the idea. This is referring to the motive of your service. Being a pastor, you should not be motivated by magkano bang kikitain ko dyan. Magkano bang love gift magpipreach ako dyan sa inyo. That's not the motive. Not for what you can gain, but for what you can give. You're ready, with a ready mind. You're ready to preach the gospel in Rome also, as Paul said, using the same word. Right? That's the motivation. And I, One time I received a text message from some pastor, and probably because he thought na yung aking number is the number of Pastor Eric, and many people make that mistake, right? And he was complaining. Sabi niya sa text message na yun, you know, dati, nung hindi pa ako pastor, dito ako nagtatrabaho sa buy and sell at kumikita ako na ganito at ganyan. Nung nagpastor ako, hirap pala. Walang pera, walang pagkain. Tapos sa dulo, pastor, baka pwede naman makahingi dyan ng ano, tulong. The pastor is not for gain. If your if your goal in life is to be rich and to be comfortable, right? The pastorate is not really the you know, the way for success, right? And some and sometimes you know the opposite is also true. 
So, some pastors or, or maybe are, are gifted with a, with a bigger congregation, you know, or maybe they're in a city and, and magkaiba siyempre nasa city tsaka nasa probinsya, di ba? And pastors would, would get whatever they could have. You know, ano pa bang pwede kumakuha dito? Congregation, bigyan na naman ng kotse. Congregation, baka naman pwedeng may, may pabahay pa. It's not for gain. There's one pastor who God has blessed with certain gift of writing. So he started to write his first book. Sold in the market. Right? It's just a really book that blessed people's hearts. Right? And then he started writing more books. And he has written now, he's been a pastor for more than 40 years. And he has written now over, 70, over 50 books. He's now 70 years old. Right? He's written over 50 books. But one of the things he did is like in my first few books that he, he has, I am receiving so much money from this book. This is not right. So whatever I'm earning from this book, I'm, I'm going to give this to some ministry. I shouldn't be having this amount of money. I mean, because if you sell books, you get royalties. If your book is, you know, a bestseller and many people will buy it, the more, the more that is being printed, the more it's being sold, the more money you get. So, I, this is not right. And he's not earning anything in his books. In fact, now some of his books are free. You can download his books free PDF. Pastor is not for gain. This does not mean that the pastor shouldn't, shouldn't you know, I mean, there are passages of scripture that balances that, right? The laborer is worthy of his reward. And First Timothy talks about this, right? And so we balance scripture, we interpret scripture with scripture, but at the same time, we also don't want to say, you know, then the, the, you, if you're a pastor, then this is how much you should earn. And you should expect this amount. And you should force people to pay you. And the best example of that is the Apostle Paul. If you could go back again to Acts chapter 20. And we, we went there earlier. Again, speaking to the church, uh, to the elders in Ephesus, Paul is, is it's a portion there I'm, I'm going to read. Beginning in verse 33, this is Paul's testimony in front of the church, of the elders of the church in Ephesus. Sabi niya, and I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. I've never asked for any of this. Yea, ye yourselves know, this is known to the church, that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's own testimony said, you know, I, I never asked. And, 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 and because the motive is not for gain. Not what you could get, but what you, should, what you could give. That's the motive uh, we talked about the manner, the motive, and then the method of shepherding, right? How do you shepherd then? Right? What, what's the method of shepherding? Verse 3. This is the third set right, of, of how you oversee the church of God. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. This is how you exercise your authority. Not as being lords. 
Not as having authoritative dominion. You know, idea of being lords over. Some authoritative dominion. Not lording over the flock, but, but being good examples. This is how you lead the church. This is how you direct them. You show them what it means to be followers of Jesus. You become good examples. Pastors should be the best examples of following Christ faithfully. See, the congregation, they may know what the Bible says, and they're probably studying the Bible with you, but it's not enough to just speak the words. You need to show them how, how you obey the words of God. They, they want a living example. One of the things that I'm thankful for, we have, you know, uh, Dr. Vogel from BJMBC, is that the professors at BJMBC are constant examples of godly character. Those who study there, I have some classmates here, one, two, three, four, five, or six BJMBC alumni in here in this, this um, room. Everyone would testify. The lives of the directors, Dr. Barry, Dr. K, Mr. Bakarik, Pastor Abit. It's unanimous. We would say, man, they're good examples of godly character. It's not just what they teach, it's how they live. And, and, and the way they live is what changed us. It, it, my own testimony. Like, like I see how they live, how they, how, how how they publicly love their wife, how, how they teach their children, how they disciple their own children, how they relate with others, how they resolve conflicts, how, how, they, how they apologize, how they confess, and how they show repentance over sin. It's incredible. One of the things that a church doesn't know to do, and it's difficult to do, is to, to confess sin. <laughs> I mean, who here, that's, that's, you know, that's your gift, right? I'm just good in confessing. I mean, one, one it's not a gift, right? It's not listed as a gift. And two, that's just very difficult. But it gets easier if you see someone else would do, how they would do this. How do you resolve conflict? How, how, do you, how do you disciple your children? I, I want to see how it looks like. And it helps in the growth of others. And pastors, brother pastors, you have given this wonderful opportunity where your congregation looks up to you. And you have this, op this privilege of showing them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not by lording over them. Not by being boss. Boss. Boss ako dito. I do whatever I, whatever I say, that's final. Ex cathedra. Right? You sound like Roman Catholic. But that's not what it means to be a leader, to be a servant leader. It means being a good example. So that's the task. And lastly, the reward. Of effect, this is speaking about effective shepherding God's people. The identity of the, of the elders uh, is the same as the pastors. And these are people who, who would experience suffering, but also rejoicing in that future glory. And their task is to shepherd the, the flock of God. One of the ways they do that is they oversee into the church. They exercise some kind of authority, God-given authority. But that authority is qualified, right? It's for proper motive, not for, for what you could get, but what for you could give. It's not being forced. You're not being forced to do this. You're doing this willingly, with wholehearted desire. Right? 
And your method is not being lords over and controlling all the affairs, but, but showing by good example what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And what is the result if we do this? Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. That's the reward. That's the result of faithful shepherding. Brother pastors, I encourage you to look forward to this great reward. One of the things that, that sometimes, you know, at first, this is actually how I think, right? I'm serving God, not for the reward. I, I'm serving God because, because He is God. And that, that's, that's true. And that should be true. But the Bible talks about rewards because the Bible wants us to be excited about rewards. Sometimes the temptation is to minimize the reward, right? Well, you know, yes, I'll serve kahit walang reward. You know, wag na, right? That's kind of like how, how sometimes some people would, 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 would look at this. But Peter's talking about rewards. Paul talks about rewards. James talks about rewards. If I would say, if I would have a contest, maybe just some kind of game, right? And I said, whoever would win, I'm giving you a reward. And then when finally someone would win, let's say, you know, Larry won the, the contest, right? Whatever contest that is, right? Or something, you know? And you know, Larry won the contest. And my reward is, you know, I'll give you a reward. I'll give you a lollipop. And if, if they would say, oh, yun lang pala yung reward mo, I, I would be hurt. You minimize my reward. Or, or maybe during Christmas, you gave a gift to someone. And you're excited to give a gift. Like, this is my gift for you. And they opened their gift. It's not what they expected. And they were like, oh, oh thanks. <laughs> thanks. Right? What will you feel as a giver? If you're not excited, I have a gift for you. Okay, gift for me. You know, you're not excited about the gift that they're going to give. Now, that hurts you as a giver. That's the same thing with God. God is excited about his reward. I'm going to give you a reward when Jesus would come. And then you're like, no, I'm serving you without the reward. I mean, what would the giver of the reward feel? Right? We should be excited about that reward. Brother pastors, be excited about that reward. We don't know exactly what it means. You know, it's, it's a crown of glory. Is it a literal crown? Or is it a, a crown which is glory? Is it a genitive uh, opposition? People debate about this. But one thing is sure, it's glorious. And it, it's, it's eternal. It fades not away. And sometimes the reward that we want, one of the things that, that distract pastors is the lust for power. Oh, I want to have the biggest church. Oh, I want to have this. I want to be well, I want to write a book so that I'll be well known, you know. Prestige, power, fame. And those things rob you of that future, glorious, eternal reward. Brother pastors, and, and all of us, if you serve in a ministry, let us not serve for self-promotion and self-exaltation. Let's wait for that future eternal reward. Don't let 
the earthly goods, sinful pleasure, fame, prestige, self-promotion, and all kinds of things that this world offers rob you of that future glorious and eternal reward. It fades not away that God wants to give when Jesus Christ comes. We should be looking forward to that. Don't let anything else rob you with that. If you're suffering right now, you're going through difficulties in the ministry, you have lots of burdens in you, just endure. There is great reward waiting for you if you faithfully continue. If you're training for the ministry and maybe you're thinking about, you know what, ayoko na, okay? Exam pa lang, ang hirap na, okay? It's midterms week, okay? Just endure. There's great reward waiting for those who are serving Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, we praise you for your kindness towards us. Truly, serving you is a privilege. What else would we do but to serve the God who gave his son to die for our sins? To give us forgiveness of sins. Who declared us righteous before a holy God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his righteousness placed in our account. What else would we do but to live for him who died for us? And I pray that you would encourage the hearts of every pastor here and even those who are training for the ministry and maybe even those who are thinking about training for the ministry or even those who are serving you and in other ways. For all of us, as we pray for our pastors tonight, I pray that you would help us, that you would encourage our hearts. That God gives rewards to his faithful servants. And help us, God, to be faithful to the task of shepherding your people and not changing the diet, but to feeding them the inerrant word of God, who alone transform, could transform people from darkness into light. But there's no salvation in any other but through Jesus Christ. And may you get all the glory for what you would do. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.